Today we continue the message from last week called Eternally Secure. If you weren't here last week, then I want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that message was for you. It was there to reinforce, to reinvigorate, to give you a sense of security, a sense of peace, a sense of belonging that God wants you to know cannot be taken away. Today, however, we want to consider a few other things. You see, here's what I don't want to happen. If you're saved, I want you to go away from here feeling secure. That God has you in his hand and that nothing's going to take you out of God's hand. If you're here and you're not saved, the last thing I want to do is give you security in that. I want you to be absolutely petrified. Not because of what I say, but because of what God says. But I also don't want you to go out of here saved and insecure. I want you to have that confidence, that peace that's beyond all understanding to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so I left you last week with two questions. And those two questions were pretty simple. Are you saved? Are you sure? And what I've been praying this week is that for some of you, those two questions have been keeping you awake at night. And I don't apologize for that. Because I'd much rather you lose a little bit of sleep than to go into eternity, a Christless eternity, having said no one challenged me to think deeply about eternity. And so, today, we're actually going to look at, I won't say the other side of the coin, but we're going to go a little deeper Because you'll remember the scenario that we painted for you. The picture we painted for you last week was we all know people who perhaps during a church service or youth service, some kind of a revival event, whatever it was, who made a decision. In other words, they came down a a church aisle or they were met under a a tent or, or wherever it might be and they prayed a prayer and they may have started well, I mean, going to church, getting baptized, being a part of a, a Bible study class or a small group, but then they faded away. And a few years later, you look at their lives and you can distinguish no difference between before they made that decision and their lives now. And then we struggle with the question, is this person really saved and they just quenched the spirit in their lives? Or is this per- was that decision never a real thing? And therefore, their, secure, their, their eternity is not secure. And so this is the issue we want to wrestle with a little bit as we deal with the warnings that the Bible gives us about this kind of what we could call pseudo-faith. So we're going to look at some of those this morning. And the first thing I want to tell you is that the warnings are real. That's the first thing you need to know. The warnings are real. Consider these warnings. 2 Peter chapter 2. For if, having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in these things and defeated, the last state is worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it, to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. And in Romans chapter 11, 
Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. True enough, they were broken off by unbelief. But you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he's talking about the Jews, he will not spare you either. Therefore, consider God's kindness and severity. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness toward you. If you remain in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. Okay, now some of you are reading that and go, wow, that sounds completely different than what we talked about last week. Last week, what we said was that if a person was saved, that they are secure in that salvation, they cannot lose that salvation. And here, it sounds all the world as if God is warning us that we better behave or we might lose it. So what are we to do with this? Now, now here's the deal. Most of us, depending on the tradition we grew up in, had one or another set of verses emphasized for us. And the other verses were downplayed. I don't want to do that here. This church was founded on God's holy word. All of it. Not a part of it. All of it. And therefore, you need to be confronted by and you need to wrestle with the hard issues of faith. In other words, today, it's not baby food. Okay, today we're rolling out the meat cart. Today you get prime rib, ribeye steak. You get the finest free range chicken. We're laying out the meat today. And so put on your, your, your bib so you don't get it all over your shirt because I've gone out to eat with some of you and you need that. Get out, get out your fork and your, your big serrated knife, your ginsu. And we want to dig into this and come to understand it. We want to wrestle with these verses this morning. Now, some people have said that the doctrine of eternal security is a dangerous thing. And it's dangerous for this reason. A person could come down and pray a prayer and then go off and live an absolutely godless life and still squeak into heaven. I want to tell you something. That way of thinking is absolutely contrary to anything revealed in the pages of scripture that is never taught anywhere in the pages of scripture the warnings given in scripture are there to reinforce the reality that those who are saved have a new heart and therefore will live a new changed life when we are born again we get a new heart We get a new start, and our desires begin to change. Now, yes, there are some remnants of the thrills of sin that remain. Some things we may go back to from time to time because at one point they brought us pleasure. But for the believer, for the believer, when we go back and we indulge again into that sin that once brought us real pleasure we discover that now it brings nothing but guilt and remorse. You know, you know this. You've experienced this. You became a Christian, and before that, your life was marked by some certain habits. And then after you became a Christian, you, you kind of tinkered in those things a little bit again because beforehand, they brought such joy, such, such satisfaction, such happiness. 
And now you go back and you do that. And yes, there's still some joy. There's still some satisfaction in that. But on the other end of it, you don't feel real good about it anymore. You feel dirty. You feel used. You feel somehow that your fellowship with God that, that was once so close is, is, now, is, is now diminished some. For the Christian, sin does not drive us away from God. Sin drives us back to God in confession. If you're a believer, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If, if you're sitting out here right now and your sin does not bother you, your sin does not leave you feeling dirty, if you have no problems going back to the same sins that you were committing, the same lifestyle that you were living before you became a Christian, we need to talk. There's something wrong. Let me share with you a couple more verses. Hebrews chapter 3 and then Hebrews chapter 6. Watch out, brothers, so that there won't be any, but won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God, but encourage each other daily while it's still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become companions of the Messiah if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. Before we go to the next verse, did you understand what we're talking about here is one of the reasons that we need to be a part of a church? Because what did it say? It said that we're to help each other remain faithful. We're to be there for each other. We can't do that if we're separated and don't don't connect in the life of the church. In Hebrews 6, beginning at verse 4, For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, become companions of the Holy Spirit, tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away because to their own harm they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. For ground that has drunk the rain that has often fallen on it and that produces vegetation useful to those it is cultivated for receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and about to be cursed and would be burned at the end. Even though we're speaking this way, dear friends, in your case, we're confident of the better things connected with salvation. Now, there are those who read this particular passage and what they'll say is, okay, this doesn't refer to believers. Because it's talking about tasting. You know, not, not talking about taking a full bite. It's talking about tasting. Well, the only problem with that is in the Hebrews 2, 9, it says that Jesus tasted death. Now, when he went to the cross, did he just nibble on death a little bit? No. He died. He was fully involved. And so when it says that we've tasted God's good word, that we've tasted the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean we've had a little nibble. It means that we've been involved. So instead of trying to explain this passage away, we can readily see, and this is important, get this, for those of you who believe that you can be saved and be lost, get this, the writer of Hebrews is saying that if it were possible for a believer to fall out of faith, to be lost again, there will be no way that he or she could be renewed again to the faith because that would mean re-crucifying Jesus. Jesus died once for all. He will not be re-crucified. 
Go back, take this passage, read it, reread it, reread it, reread it. Because what it's saying is, if you are saved and if you can lose your salvation, you cannot be resaved. You can't just recycle this over and over and over and over and over. This is important in the theological argument on eternal security. If you can be saved and lost, you can't be saved again. The warnings here are given to express the radical difference that salvation makes. We become a new creation with a new heart and new desires. We have the Holy Spirit to indwell us and to empower us. We are changed and are changing from the inside out because Jesus has taken up residence in us. These warnings are a mirror to hold up before our faces and to gaze into that to see if life change is actually happening. And if not, we need to seriously consider our salvation. Here's the deal. I can't judge. You see, I don't have the benefit of being able to look into your heart, to look into your mind. All I know is is two things. Number one, what you tell me. And number two, how you act. And I can be absolutely dumbfounded in the people who tell me this, but their lives show that. But I can't always explain it because there are two things that could be true. Number one, the person could be saved, but absolutely quenching the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Or number two, they could be absolutely deceived. They could be lost. And because they had an experience, believe that they're saved. And so we move on to the next point, which is this. A person can wrongly assume that they are saved. How do I know this? Again, we go back to God's word. Jesus says, Matthew seven twenty one, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Not everyone who just says something religious, says something spiritual, will get in. But only he whose life has been changed from the inside out so that their their actions begin to reflect the heart of their faith. Now see, I want you to have certainty of your salvation if you're saved. And what I'm about to say may sound like I want to create doubt. That's the last thing I want to do. But I want you to come face to face with the reality and ask yourself the two questions. Am I saved? Am I sure? Am I saved? Am I sure? Am I saved? Am I sure? And so listen to what I'm going to say now, and then I'm going to explain it. Not everyone who comes forward and says a prayer asking Jesus in their hearts is actually saved. Why not? Because salvation is not given because you prayed the correct words, but because you've placed your hope in the finished work of Christ. Salvation is not given because the pastor said, pray these words, and you repeated those words. Salvation is given because you've placed your hope in the completed saving work of Jesus Christ. 
You see, not everyone who comes forward at a church meeting or at a revival meeting or people you would meet on the streets, not everyone who comes forward has any clue what they're doing. Some of them have the faint, don't have the faintest idea of what they're doing. Why? Because they don't see themselves as sinners in need of a savior, but they see themselves as people who are a little bit dirty who just need to be rinsed off. They don't see themselves as, as dead people who are needing a new life, but they see themselves as kind of, you know, dented and dinged a little bit. And, and all they need is a little bit of Bondo, a little bit of, of crazy glue, a little bit of, of duct tape, and everything's going to be fine. They don't see themselves as people who are utterly lost and have no help of finding God on their own, but they see themselves as people who are just a little bit off the path. And all they need is a gentle nudge to get back on. Maybe, it, maybe, maybe it's because of a twinge of guilt. This happens. A person comes to a church service and sometime during the week they've, they've told a lie. May have gotten caught in it. They've cheated on their taxes or cheated on a test. Maybe they've had some level of sexual infidelity or viewed pornography on the internet and and so they come in and, and they've got this, this guilt and, and the pastor's up there preaching and all they can think about is that thing that they did, that, that thing that they said. And, and so they feel guilty and, and here's what they want. They're not looking for a savior. They're looking for a band-aid. They're looking for something to cover up that guilt, something to give them a, a momentary uh, reprieve from the thought of what they did was wrong. Somebody who will just come in and just kind of wipe that away, but have, have absolutely no desire to do anything more. Maybe it's a wave of emotion. Preacher strikes a chord, says something, and this emotional upheaval happens in a person. Or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's the song that's sung, and it just strikes the right chord with that person, and and they're drawn. They, they, they really feel like, I've got to go down. I've got to, I've got to deal with this emotion. And, and let me tell you what happens. And, and some of you see people come down on Sunday morning. And when they do, I ask them the same question. Why are you here? Now, most of the time, I know why they're coming. But I ask them, why are you here? Because I want to hear from their voices what it is that they've come for. I don't want to assume that just because I preached a whiz-bang sermon with a great ending, that somehow that the person it was, is just in, you know, irrevocably and inevitably drawn to Jesus. Sometimes they just feel guilty and want a Band-Aid. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's doing something in their lives, they don't know what to do with it. And here's the sad thing that happens, and I have done this. This is why I'm so passionate about it. I have done this. A person comes down and I say, why are you here? And they say, well, I really don't know. And so I say, well, do you want to accept Jesus? And they figure, okay, that's what you do when you come down here. And so, sure, I want to accept Jesus. Okay, can I pray with you? Sure, will you just repeat this prayer? Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm lost without you. I'm lost without you. I accept you as Savior. I accept you as Savior. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You're part of the family of God. Maybe. 
Maybe Jesus just repeated what you said. We never want to make that assumption that the Holy Spirit who's bringing conviction on somebody or an emotional wave that overcame somebody, that it is the act, that is the same thing as conversion. And that's why we take time with children. And that's why we take time with adults to say, listen, let me tell you, let me tell you what it means to follow Jesus. I had an occasion, a young man was sitting in my office his mother had come to me and said he wants to be baptized. Pastors love to hear that. Set up an appointment. He came in. He sat down. We, we sat across from each other. And I explained to him the plan of salvation. I said, do you understand that? And he said, yes. I said, uh, and uh, you, you want to pray to receive Jesus Christ? Yes. And you want to follow him for the rest of your life? And he goes, no. Well, at least he was honest. He had no clue that's what it meant. That accepting, you know, okay, I'll receive Jesus into my heart, but had no clue that it meant actually following Jesus. Hey, listen, dude, all I want is to get to heaven. I'm not interested in this following Jesus business. All I want to do is to, to get my fire insurance. Can you get my fire insurance? I didn't baptize him. I couldn't baptize him. But it put into stark reality the truth that a person can repeat prayer from a pastor or an evangelism person who's going out doing in-home visitation or whomever it is, a person can repeat a prayer but not mean a prayer. And there's what I can't tell. And so I've got Bobby here. I know Bobby's a believer. But if I didn't know him and he came to me and and said, hey, listen, I, I want to I join the church. I want to be baptized. I want to be a Christian. And I sat there and I shared the plan of salvation with him. And Bobby prayed a prayer and repeated what I prayed. I'm going to make an assumption based on what he knows that he's a believer. But to be honest, only he and God know for sure. But it is absolutely imperative Bobby knows for sure. The last thing I want to do is give him false security. And so I want him to begin to ask some questions about his life. And I want you to begin to ask some questions about your life. Did I, did I pray to receive Jesus just because I wanted to get out of hell and I had no intention of following him? Was I baptized because there was a big group of people who was being baptized People in my Sunday school class were being baptized. It was some big revival event, and everybody was coming forward, and I didn't want to be left out. That's my story. That's my story. My class, my Sunday school class, went in to talk with the pastor one day. He sat down and explained all this stuff about Jesus, and he says, well, who wants to be baptized? I said, well, everybody else got their hand raised. Dunk me too. And when I got baptized, the only thing I got was wet. That's it. Yeah, I went through the motions, but I never received Christ Jesus as my Savior and Lord. Go ask Tom Robinson. He'll tell you a person can sit in church most of their adult life and be just as lost as a ball in high weeds because that's his story until he came to know Jesus. Just because you got your name on the church roll, just because you've been dunked under the water, just because you repeated a prayer, 
It doesn't mean you're saved. It's when you put your hope in the finished, completed, saving work of Jesus Christ. That is when you're saved. Ask yourself the question, since I became a Christian, since I prayed that prayer, is there really any difference in my life choices? Do I live exactly the same way I live? Do I have the same passions I had before? Do I have the same desires I had before? Does sin bother me? Or is it just part of my life? Is it my lifestyle? Am I burdened for the lost? I mean, do do I care that thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are dying today and going into a Christless eternity? Does that even bother me? When I get this list of missionaries, do I look at them and go, thank you, God, for sending these people to California, to the Northeast, to the Pacific Northwest? Thank you, God, for sending them where there isn't a church on every corner. To share the good news of Jesus Christ with people who don't know him. Did I at one point hear Carrie Underwood sing Jesus take the wheel and go, oh, thank you, God. Take the wheel in my life. But now I've taken Jesus and I've tossed him over the back seat like a used McDonald's bag. And I'm back in control. I'm the one at the wheel. And maybe the biggest question of all. When you lay your head on the pillow at night, do you know? Do you have the confident assurance that if you should die before you wake, that you'd be in the presence of God Almighty, welcomed as his child? If not, you can know. The blessed assurance that we sang about, that could be your story. That could be your song. Now, none of us who become Christians are going to live perfect lives. James chapter 3, verse 2 says that we all stumble in many ways. And I've told you before, it's not about perfection. It's about direction. And some of you are sitting out here, and now you're wondering because you say, hey, I struggle with sin in my life. And that's the good news. You're struggling with it. I'd be worried about you if you weren't. If you struggle with sin, that's a good indication that God has a place in your life, that Jesus lives in your heart, that you have salvation. But if you don't struggle with it, you might want to start to think a little more deeply about that salvation experience. So let me boil it all down to this. Is the overall direction of my life following Jesus or is the overall direction of my life following sin and self This is a self-evaluation question. I cannot see your heart. You have to ask the hard questions. Why? Because it can be very hard to distinguish between a non-believer and a carnal Christian. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, Brothers, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of flesh, As babies in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food because you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready because you're still fleshly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and living like unbelievers? The first thing to note here 
is that Paul calls them brothers, so he's talking to Christians, and then he uses this term fleshly, or maybe in the translation you're using, the term is carnal. He's not saying that they actually have flesh on their bones. What he's saying is that these people are believers, but they've gone back to living their pre-Christian lifestyle. In other words, they're living as if they'd never been born again. It is possible, it is possible for a person who's a genuine Christian to backslide or to go back into an unbelieving lifestyle, at least for a time. It is possible for a real believer to backslide. That's an old term, backslidden, to backslide or or to go into an unbelieving lifestyle, at least for a time. But the good news is that repentance and restoration are always available for the Christian. Don't let Satan deceive you. Repentance and restoration are always available for the believer. Jesus is always standing at the heart's door and knocking for the believer who's going astray. That this person, the believer, never ceases to be God's child. But for a time, they may stop living like it. Some of you know this from your own lives, from your own children. That child of yours will never stop being yours. But sometimes you wonder, are they really mine? Because they sure aren't living like it. They aren't living what I taught them. Their lifestyle is completely different. But they never stop being your child. If you're truly God's child, you never stop being his child, even though sometimes you may not live like it. Now, this isn't what God wants for your life. It isn't the life that you were called to and empowered for. In fact, it is an utter waste. You're chasing empty promises and in the end will end up empty-handed when all is said and done. But God waits. Listen, God waits for the prodigal son. God waits for the prodigal daughter to come back home. This is what carnal Christianity, that fleshly Christianity creates. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each person's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And if anyone's work that he has built survives, he'll receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost. But he will be saved, yet it will be like an escape through fire. person's going to be saved, but their entire life's work is going to be ashes. And they'll get in, but they'll show up with a handful of ashes. Everything that they thought brought them satisfaction, everything that they thought had value in this life, all the things that they'd worked for and strived for and, 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 and scrimped and saved for, all these things are going to be burned up because it wasn't done for Jesus. What is going to remain? What are those things that are gold and precious gems and silver? I'll tell you what they are. It's when you went to the prison... And you visited with those who knew that they were lost, that they needed a new life. It's when you volunteered to go sit down 
with a, a young woman who has just discovered that she's three months pregnant and thinks her parents are going to disown her and you're able to share with her hope in Jesus Christ. It's when you go and you visit in the home of someone who's no longer physically able to get out, perhaps a widow, perhaps debilitated by disease. It's when you go to the nursing home, to the retirement homes, and you sit and you listen to stories or you just hold a hand and sing a song. It's when you take the time to go in and teach children and to let them know. Listen, I I have the blessing. I I usually don't try to pick on people, but I have the blessing uh, on Sunday morning because my classroom is right next to Lisa Dalton's classroom. And she has kids, so it's not always quiet. But you know what I hear coming out of that room all the time? Scripture, 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 Scripture. And I am so thrilled. And when we invest, we say, okay, those things don't matter. Those things don't build up my 401K. Those things don't give me a nicer house, a nicer car. Those things don't give me nicer clothes to wear. You know what? In the end, all that's going to matter is what we did for Christ. That's it. Everything else will be burned up. But you say, well, hang on, Pastor. You just said that there's some people who are going to squeak by. There's some people who are going to get to heaven even though they've wasted their lives and wasted all the gifts that God has given them. Are you telling me there's a biblical loophole here that I can receive Jesus and then live like I want to? And I want to just tell you, that's just dumb. What a wasted life. And if that's the attitude, then I have a concern about your soul. If you're looking for a biblical loophole to get into heaven, then there's a legitimate concern about your soul. Don't take any comfort in this. That kind of life is a tragedy. And it may indicate something even worse. So, I've dumped a lot. Okay, this is like a farmer and dumping, you know, five bales of hay out for like three horses and a cow. I've just, I've dumped it all. So what do you do with this? How do you respond? First, make sure you're saved. And if you don't know, there are godly men and women who are here this morning who will take you aside and talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. Do not. If you're sitting there struggling with that, why in the world would you leave when there are people who can help you? Secondly, share the gospel and call people to repentance and faith. You have friends, you have neighbors, you have family members who have no hope of eternity. None. And you have the message of reconciliation. You have the answer. Live a life that validates rather than invalidates your faith. Appreciate Tommy Moon telling me about a a broadcast that was on Channel 5. Was it Channel 5, Tommy? Channel Five. It was one of the one of the morning shows, and and they they had they were doing interviews for from um, servers at restaurants. I'm assuming in the Atlanta area, and it, the basis of it was that they hated the Sunday afternoon church crowd because they were rude. They didn't manage their kids, let them run all over the place, and they were cheap when it came to tipping. I'm thinking, what a testimony. If you're going to do that, please tell them you're a Mormon or something. Don't tell them you're you're part of Grace Fellowship. That's the way you're going to act. What's wrong with that? 
What's wrong with it is this. You've been saved. If you're a believer, your sins have been washed away. You've been given a new life, a new start. You have been shown grace. You have been shown mercy. You have been shown kindness. You have been shown love. And now you are to show those things to others. And if none of that marks your life, find some strong believer here this morning and say, listen, could you talk to me about my soul? There's something desperately wrong. So I'm going to end right where I began. Are you saved? Are you sure?